0: Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, again, good morning. And welcome to those of you who are here. And welcome, again, to those of you online. My name's Pastor Andrew. I am the other interim co-lead pastor here at First Alliance Church. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for for your messages, for your support uh, for me, and for your prayers for me and my family as we descended into the valley of the shadow of COVID. Uh, uh, And all good now. We've come through it. God is good. Um, Our vision as a church, as was mentioned, is to go deep in Jesus and reach wide with his love. And we really see this Sunday gathering as a chance to celebrate Jesus and go deep into his word. And uh, we really continue that throughout the week in our small groups. So if you're not connected with a small group, I would just urge you to do that. We really take this text during our small group cycles and really Dig down deep into it, and you get the chance to journey with others in their walk with Christ who can support you as well. Uh, so we are continuing today in the book of Romans, uh, this very ancient letter, letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and uh, last week, we started in chapter 5. Uh, where as we've come through chapters 1 to 4, where Paul really focuses on this question of justification by faith, of how we can stand right before God, and it's Christ and Christ alone and faith in Him. Now he starts to unpack a lot of the glories and the implications of this new life in Jesus. Uh, So I would invite you to open a Bible to Romans chapter 5, and last week, we really considered hope, and this week, we're continuing on that same theme of hope as we get into chapter 5, verses 3 and f- three to 5. But as we read our text this morning, we'll start in verse 1, just to make sure we're getting the context. And so I invite you to have a Bible open to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, and we're going to read the word of the Lord together. I'm going to be reading from the New American standard Bible, so it might be a bit different for you, but but still track along. So let's give ear, because this is the word of the Lord. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult, or we rejoice, in hope of the glory of God." And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that as we hear your word this morning, that you would indeed preside over this gathering as the crucified and risen Lord who is present by his spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come for the renewal of worship and witness? Would you come and communicate the gospel to the deep places of our souls? And would you change us in this encounter with you? We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name, amen. So, I want to pick up that question. What sabotages your hope? What sabotages your hope? Maybe it's negative thinking patterns, maybe anxieties, maybe letdowns. Some people in the chat mentioned disappointments. Um, one young mother mentioned the hope of sleeping in just gets sabotaged by little kids waking up at 6 a.m. and running around the house. Yeah, amen to that. What sabotages your hope? My suspicion is that most of us would say that suffering sabotages our hope. Suffering of one kind of another sabotages our hope. And today what we're going to consider is the good news of how suffering, rather than sabotage our hope, can actually energize it. How suffering, instead of sabotaging our hope, can actually energize it. And if you're a skeptic or not a Christian or from another faith, you might be thinking, what kind of universe are you living in? Because nothing good comes of suffering, right? There's, there's nothing to rejoice in when we suffer. It's just bad and we should avoid it at all costs. And let's be honest, you might be a Christian and maybe you've kind of subscribed or been shaped by a version of the faith that says something like this. If you obey God and do what he says, you're never gonna suffer. He, he's never gonna let you suffer. He's gonna give you health and wealth and just those lovely green pastures. Regardless of your take on suffering this morning, I want to to invite you to consider what the Bible teaches on how the new life available in Jesus is a life of resilient hope, which can actually transform our posture towards suffering. That suffering can even produce good things in you and shape you into a person of greater faith, hope, hope. love. So let's get into it. Uh, You might be wondering, right, what kind of universe am I living in that we would rejoice in suffering? Well, let's look at the reasons given in this text for why we would not only rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but also rejoice in our suffering. So the first reason is it forges our character. At the end of verse 2, it says, we exalt, or we also exalt, that's the word rejoice boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, right? Because most of us would probably stop there. Yeah, the hope of glory, let's rejoice in this. But then Paul says, we also exalt in our tribulations. That's, that means sufferings. That means affliction. And then he says, he gives us the reason, because we know, So there's something we need to know about suffering that he says we know, but it's almost like he's saying, hey, if you don't know this, you need to. Because we know tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. You see, what Paul had come to know in Jesus because of his death and resurrection and that he wants us to know is that suffering can forge our character, and produce perseverance. Perseverance is steadfastness that enables us to hold out and to hold up under great pressure. And pressure is actually the meaning of that word tribulation. At the core, it means pressure, pressure that comes from from persecution or illness or tragedy or loss or unforeseen changes in your life, all of which put pressure on us. And we need perseverance. Perseverance if we're gonna hold up under pressure. When I think of perseverance, I think of salmon. Think about the migration of salmon. I mean, it's just incredible. They swim upstream against the current, against the flow of mighty rivers. They put up with the pressure of waterfalls. Even they risk bears with their claws to get them, or, or fishermen, right? And the thing with salmon is, they are going to get to the spot where they need to spawn or die. Like, it's one or the other, literally. Another beloved fish comes to mind, Dory, from Finding Nemo, Nemo, right? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. You see, uh, perseverance is something we need to just keep swimming, and what I'm really excited for this morning is that, unlike Dory, who just seems to have this unquenchable optimism without much reason for it, we have such reason to keep swimming, to keep going, to persevere because of our hope in Jesus. Paul then says, perseverance in turn produces proven character. Now that word proven character means tried and true. In the Bible, it's a word that's used to talk about the forging of precious metals, how metal would be forged in the furnace in order to remove impurities and alloys Right? And without that forging process, the metal will never be pressure, or precious, sorry. It will never become precious unless, it, unless it's purified. And it's the same with us. That when we believe in Jesus, we are justified. Boom, you belong to Christ. But then he starts to go to work on you, right? We enter into this new life in Christ fully justified, and yet we're still sinful. There's still a lot of work that God needs to do in our hearts and minds and in our lives. And classically, this has been called by the theologians sanctification. It's a word that simply means the process by which God cleans you up, that He forges your character. And uh, what spiritual formation, right, that's really at its heart what it's all about. Spiritual formation, our uh, practices, Uh, where we open ourselves to the sanctifying work of God's spirit, like prayer, reading the Bible, confessing sin, getting into community, fasting. And it turns out uh, how we respond to suffering is also part of our formation. Suffering is a means that God can use to forge our character, to make us tried and true. Notice how I said it can. Suffering can do this, it has the potential to do this. And the reason I say this is because suffering can also break us. It can send us into despair. One of the great dangers of not learning to rejoice in the midst of suffering is that we would enter into despair. And let me submit to you that in this text, Paul is not talking about all suffering. He's not saying that suffering is this glorious thing. He's not praising suffering, but what he's talking about is the suffering of the new humanity in Christ. Notice how he says, when he says we also exalt in our sufferings because we know. Who's the we there? The we is followers of Jesus. The we there is the people who have the hope of the glory of God and rejoice in it. You see, suffering alone does not produce or forge our character. It's suffering plus that response of faith that rejoices in the hope of the glory of God. Tracking with me? So to be clear, this text is not saying that suffering is awesome and you should just put a smile on when you're suffering. Um, I, and I don't think the word rejoice is meant to be taken in like a superficial feelings kind of way. I think it really is, is to be understood as like this deep orientation of the soul, that when tribulation comes our way, we, we turn to God with faith, hope, and love, not that we need to whip ourselves up to be happy, okay? Okay. And let's just be clear on one more thing. And the reason I want to be is because suffering, this is a really painful one for us. So let me be clear on this. This text is not trying to explain why suffering has happened. It's not trying to explain why tragedies happen. So please don't go away from here today telling people, my, my, my pastor said that God is letting you suffer because he wants to forge your character. Please don't do that. I'll deny it. Paul is not giving us the why of suffering. He's not answering that question that often burns deeply in us. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we do know the why of suffering. Uh, Sometimes we suffer because of our decisions. So say you wake up in the morning exhausted with like a splitting headache and you're like, why am I suffering? And then you remember, oh yeah, it's because I stayed up till 3 a.m. last night. Uh, and I drank too much, and now I'm paying the cost for it. There's oftentimes we know why we're suffering, and it's really obvious, but there's another level, right, where you don't know. Why did COVID happen? Why was I diagnosed with cancer? Why did things fall apart? Why was I left fatherless or motherless? And you can just insert the deep question of your heart here. See, as I was wrestling with this text, I was wondering how the story of Job, for example, measures up with what Paul is teaching us here. Job was a man in the Old Testament who lost everything, like monumental suffering in like a moment, And what happens in the wake of this tragedy that befalls him? Like, he loses everything. All his kids die. He loses all his property, all his wealth, his wife. And he's like sitting in ashes, just completely broken. And some of his friends come and they sit with him for seven days in silence. And then, after seven days, they start to tell Job the reasons why. Hey, Job, here's why you're suffering. And one of their reasons, and let me just say, they're really smart dudes. They were like philosophically sophisticated. They had like all this elaborate theology and they start to tell Job, hey, Job, here's why you're suffering. And one of the reasons is God is purifying you and forging your character. But at the end of the story, God rebukes Job's friends because they did not speak what was true of God. They did not speak what was right of him. So how does this measure up with what Paul is saying? I mean, ultimately, when it comes to our deep question of why we experience suffering, I actually think we need to stand in silence. I think his friends got it right for those first seven days. And as soon as they started to speak, that's when the problem started. Because we don't know. And I think the answers that we seek are kind of tucked away somewhere, in this tension, just just hear me out. It's the tension between the sovereignty of God and his redemptive purpose, the brokenness of a world under sin, the individual choices of sinful humanity and their institutions, and the spiritual powers and principalities that are in rebellion against God. And on this side of eternity, we're not able to untangle that web. The reason for suffering is a mystery, but God in his goodness has made a way to redeem it and use it for our good. That's what this text is about. This text is not providing a reason, it's providing a result. That's the difference. A reason comes before, and it's it's the cause for something happening, but a result comes after, and Paul says tribulation produces. This is a product. This is what can come from suffering, perseverance, character, and hope. They are the result, not the reason. And this means, friends, this is really good news, that even as we don't understand the reasons why, we can trust God with the result and rejoice in our sufferings because we know that God is at work for our good. He's forging us into people who are more and more becoming like Jesus and coming to possess his character. Another reason to rejoice in our sufferings is that it furthers our purpose. So it forges our character. It also furthers our purpose. I mean, let's be real. Nobody likes to suffer. I get that. I'm no different. But there seems to be this really real obsession in our culture to avoid it, like at all costs. Suffering holds this kind of terror over people in our cultural moment today. And I wonder if it's because we have so rooted our identity in the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of suffering. See, Western secular society is deeply shaped by the idea that your pleasure is the highest good that you could seek in life. And that therefore suffering is not just a bad thing that happens to you, it's actually the enemy of your soul. It's the enemy of your identity as a human because there's not just the pain of suffering that you experience, but underneath that pain, there's like a deeper angst because it feels like your identity and purpose are under threat, right? If your purpose is pleasure, then suffering, you will think, will prevent you from living your fullest life from being fully human and fully alive. So in addition to the suffering itself, there's this deeper existential panic. Does that resonate? Do you see that in our culture today? And so we avoid suffering like it's our job. I I want you to think about this. Say uh, for you families who are from non-Western cultures, how this might be at work in your household. So, So parents, you might've come from a culture where your highest good was the family's honor the family's survival. And now your kids are in Canada and they're growing up in a culture where the highest good is their individual pursuit of pleasure. Uh, Have you ever felt this friction in your household? And if you haven't, maybe you will, as your kids get more willful and grow into teenhood. Your kids are way less willing to sacrifice what they want for the good of the family. And you're like, why? It's because you're part of the same family, but you've got different operating systems being downloaded into into you by two very different cultures. And what Jesus does when we put our faith in him, we looked at this last week a bit, is that he gives us a new purpose. And it's actually not a new purpose, it's actually the oldest purpose, it's the one we were made for. It's the glory of God. That you were made for more than the passing pleasures of the world, you were made for more than comfort and safety. Do you hear that word safety often today in our COVID times? Stay safe, be safe. That's not what we were made for. We were made for the glory of God. You were made to be filled with the glory of God, his love, his holiness, his beauty, his majesty, the radiance of his being you were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And here's the bottom line. Suffering does not derail our purpose suffering does not derail our purpose it actually furthers it because it brings us nearer to the glory for which we were made here's how paul puts it in 2 corinthians chapter 4 which we've already heard in this service in this passage paul is talking about his own suffering and persecution for following jesus and in verse 16 he writes therefore we do not lose heart so outwardly we are wasting away yet inward we are being renewed day by day and then he gives the reason for because momentary light affliction it's that same word tribulation is producing the same word in our text an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison that's just mind blowing That what we go through, God is able to use to produce for us an eternal weight of glory. And if glory is our purpose, then suffering doesn't derail our purpose. It furthers it because it produces for us this eternal weight of glory. You can understand this on a human level, right? That that weightiness of, of people that you know in your life who have gone through suffering and they've gone through it hoping in Jesus and they came on the other side, they're wiser, There's a gravity to them. Their word carries weight. It's like their eyes are more piercing. They have this veiled glory because of what they've endured. Glory and suffering. Glory in suffering. Now, isn't that a paradox? What kind of universe are we living in? You might be wondering, let me tell you, it's a universe that has as its center the paradox of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is where suffering and glory were woven together for the salvation of the world. This is how God saves us, suffering in glory. God came to earth and took our sin and shame and suffering on himself. In Philippians 2, it said that he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, it says, also God highly exalted him, glory, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord glory to the glory of the father you see the reason why this actually makes all the sense in the world even though it's a paradox is because what the world sees as folly and shame in is in reality God's victory it's God's victory over death and the resurrection of Jesus shows the death of Jesus for what it is, glory, victory over the powers of sin and evil, freedom for humanity from sin and evil. And it's brought into being a new world. What kind of universe are we living in? There's an inbreaking kingdom. It's the kingdom of God that we get to inhabit as new humans in Christ. And now glory can come from suffering just like saplings can spring up from scorched earth. The redemptive power of God turns evil against itself and uses it for our good to forge our character, to further our purpose and also to fortify our hope. So perseverance produces proven character. Lastly, this proven character produces hope. And then in verse five, Paul unpacks this hope. He talks about why this hope doesn't let us down. We mentioned what sabotages your hope. Really, we're talking about hope being let down. But he says this, and hope does not disappoint in verse five, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is why hope is not gonna let you down. It's the love of God. It's the love of God poured out within your heart. Uh, The verb tense here is referring to a past action with ongoing significance. So it has been done and it continues to be done. God's love has been and continues to be poured out into our heart. And let me tell you, friends, it's the love of God that you experience through the work of the Holy Spirit that gives the assurance that hope is real. It's been poured into our hearts. And heart does not mean feelings like it does today. It means the core of your being. Love has been deposited at the core of your being, not magically, but by the Holy Spirit, by the powerful and personal presence of God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, this is what Jesus is inviting you into. A life of deep hope where the love of God becomes your reality. That's why hope doesn't disappoint. That's why this hope is fortified. It all comes down to this. The one whose glory we hope for is already with us. Think about that. The one whose glory we hope for in eternity is already with us. He's already filling us with his love. His spirit has already been giving Be given to you and he continues to communicate God's love to you. This is what sets Christian hope apart from all others. See, hope, as we talked about last week, is about the future, right? It's about expecting something, anticipating something in the future. But one of our problems is actually voiced in the book of Proverbs where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, the longer it takes for your hope to become a reality, you kind of waste away. Your hope fades. But Christian hope is different because Christian hope actually comes from the future into the present moment. It comes from the future that God will do what he's promised to do into the present moment. Peter calls it a living hope for that reason, that even as we wait for God's great future, we experience that future now, because we have this deposit of love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, assuring us of what's to come. Friends, do you have this hope? If you do have this hope, is this something you think about on a daily basis? Is this something that you hold before yourself, that you hold before your day? I want to remind us of an insight that we just touched on last week from uh, the great German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann. He says this, that the ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found at all in what we want, wish for, and wait for. The ultimate reason is that we are wanted, wished for, and waited for. That's the love That fortifies hope. That the God of the universe who made you has also redeemed you through the cross of Christ and he wants you. He's waiting for you at the end of all things to embrace you and he even embraces you now. That's a staggering thought. John Tyson says this and I just love this quote. He says, God is not half-hearted towards you The cross is not a half-hearted expression of salvation. The giving of the Holy Spirit is not a half-hearted self-help spirituality. This is a God who is all in on you. Full-hearted love poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're unworthy. But nevertheless, God has spoken. He has acted. He has gone all in on us. This is such incredible, glorious grace. So what are we gonna do about it? I believe that this text is inviting us to set the gospel as the lens through which we view and experience suffering rather than through the lens of our culture, which would tell us to avoid suffering at any cost, the gospel invites us to face it. Not in a fatalistic way, not in a way where we intentionally seek out suffering or that we wouldn't get out of suffering if we're in it, but it allows us to face the suffering that comes for Christ as a fact of our discipleship. Suffering is a fact of our apprenticeship to Jesus in a suffering, broken world. And he wants us to face it in this way so that we might be changed, that we might become people of resilient hope who can bear compelling witness to Jesus. In John 16, Jesus is with his disciples before he goes to the cross, and this is what he says to them. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. This is a fact, of following me in a broken world. Then he says, but take courage. I've overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, because his cross and resurrection have brought the paradox of glory and suffering into reality, our suffering doesn't need to wreck us. It doesn't need to derail our purpose or crush our hope or sabotage our hope. Just the opposite. We can turn to God in faith and he can use it to forge our character, further our purpose and fortify our hope. So very practically this week, I wanna like really, like almost give you homework, if I may, can I give you some homework? Romans five, verse five, memorize it. Get it into your head, get it into your heart, do it with your kids or with your small group or your prayer partner, whoever. Memorize this and hope does not disappoint for the love of God has been poured out within our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Pray it. Ask God for a deeper grasp of that truth. Also, one thing I'd encourage you to do as we follow Jesus from this, you know, one hour service into the 167 hours that are before us this week, set aside some time to do some reflection to prepare yourself for the next time suffering hits. Know that it's going to come, right? Don't just hope it's not going to come, but prepare for the next time it does. Let's arm ourselves with the hope of the glory of God. And part of this can be thinking through, how do I usually respond to suffering when it comes on me? Name your habits, right? Uh, do you, are you like a fight or flight person? Uh, are you into like numbing out, binging Netflix, self-medicating, working ridiculous hours because it's a way of escape, video games? What, like, what is your medication for enduring suffering? Name it, be aware of it. And the next time you meet with suffering, pause and take a deep breath and press into God. Don't flee, face it. Know that the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Ask him to pour out the love of God afresh into your heart. Offer your suffering to him. Offer yourself to him. And I say this knowing this is not easy, but try it know that suffering is not the enemy of your soul but can be used by God to forge your character, further God's purpose for your life and fortify your hope. May we allow Jesus to build into us this kind of resilient hope so that we might be able to share that hope with our families, our schools, our workplace and our city. People are hungry for hope, friends. It's one of the desperate needs of our time and God has given it to us so that we might share it with others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I I thank you that we might rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and also even rejoice in our sufferings for you are with us. Your love has been poured out within our hearts. And I ask spirit that you would come and continue to enable our response to you. We open ourselves to you Show us the places of pain, show us our fears, show us our idols that keep us from pressing into you in the moment of our suffering. Would you draw us out and draw us into your embrace? I pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.